0: I invite you to turn over uh, in, your, in your bulletin over on page three. You'll see our, our scripture reading and sermon text there, as well as an outline for, for our study this morning. After taking a few weeks off, we're back in the book of Ephesians, uh, looking at the second half of Paul's letter, the, the first half of his letter, is Paul describing and unpacking the good news of the gospel. Uh, Not what we do for God, but what he's done for us. That in Christ, he's made us alive. Uh, He's saved us, not by our works, but by his grace, just received by faith. He's reconciled us to him. He's made us alive. And then the second half of the book is Paul saying, in light of that, uh, we are to live differently. Uh, because of what christ has done not that we pay him back but the good news of jesus it it changes us Uh, and so more and more strengthened by his grace and because of it uh, we begin to look differently and paul describes it as a series of putting off and putting on and that's what we've been studying those different things we put off and different things we put on and and we come we come this week now, uh, to a, another one of these, it ties into something we talked about several weeks ago in terms of anger. But here he brings in this new element and, and that really ties it together. And that's where we're going to focus on is the subject of forgiveness, the subject of forgiveness. It was the subject of our scripture reading uh, from the parable of Jesus earlier. And it's really the, the focal point of, of Paul's words in Ephesians 4. So let's let's read it first and then quickly pray. So Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would teach us the Lord Jesus this morning. And that by learning Christ, we might know him better, uh, walk in his ways, and even in that fellowship in Christ. uh, To the glory of God, we pray. So use your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are, it's Olympics time. Uh, maybe you're one of those people getting excited about the Olympics. So I thought this is the perfect opportunity to tell the story of one of my favorite Olympians that just happens to tie in perfectly with what our sermon's about this morning. So maybe you know the story, but it's so good it's worth telling again. Uh, it's the Olympian Louis Zamperini. Do you know that name? Louis Zamperini, he competed in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Uh, he, he ran the 5,000 meters he didn't medal at the race, uh, but his race was so impressive, especially his, his fast final lap, uh, that Adolf Hitler demanded that he meet Zamperini because he was so impressed. But really the, the impressive part or the, the amazing part of Zamperini's life uh, didn't begin until later. Uh, he served in World War II. He was a bombardier on a B-24 and his plane went down in the Pacific. Uh, Only three people from that plane survived the crash. Uh, Zamperini was one of them. He spent 47 days in an open raft, uh, adrift in the ocean, only to be picked up by the Japanese and spend the next two years in a Japanese prison camp. Uh, His treatment in that prison camp was so awful, so abhorrent, so dehumanizing, that I don't even want to describe it in a mixed audience but you could just picture uh, the most awful thing you could imagine, it was worse. In particular, he speaks of uh, this one particular prison guard uh, who was just this sadistic individual who really uh, was cruel to everyone, but for some reason, uh, this individual, he was nicknamed the bird, uh, this particular uh, prison guard had it in for, for Louis Zamperini. And so day after day, every day, cruel, abusive, mentally, physically attacked Zamperini. Almost two years. War's over. Zamperini's free. He comes home, back to his home in California, uh, and yet the the ordeal, the trauma, continues to torment him. Uh, He describes how... daily he would have these horrific nightmares Uh, and it was always the picture of this one prison guard the bird uh, always harassing him uh, mocking him beating him in his dreams and he was so he was so tortured by this again and again that Zamperini began to put together a plan his plan was he was going to save up enough money uh, buy a plane ticket to Japan hunt down the bird, and kill him. And he planned the details of this. It became a kind of obsession. He was saving and saving and saving and plotting. He was going to buy this ticket and go and and pay back the hurt that had been done to him. But then his wife invited him to a Billy Graham crusade. And reluctantly, he went. And he heard about Christ. And God amazingly rescued him. And he knew and learned the forgiveness of Christ and his life transformed. He, he stopped plotting and planning. Although he did go back to Japan. 1950, he went back. Uh, and he spoke at a prison uh, that, that housed a whole bunch of Japanese war criminals. And so as he's speaking to this audience of criminals, he looks out in the audience and he recognizes many faces. These were the very individuals who harassed and beat and tortured him and his friends for those two years. He saw their faces. And afterwards, he went up to each and every one of them. He shook their hands. He smiled at them. And he said, I forgive you. He tried to get in touch with that that statistic guard, the bird, um, but the bird refused to have any contact with him. Zamperini did end up sending him late in his life a letter, hoping that it might reach him. Uh, and in the letter, he told this horrible uh, uh, prison guard, I forgive you. And he communicated that he hoped that this individual, too, would come to know The good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. Unspeakable evil, forgiveness. Intense bitterness, kindness, malice, tenderheartedness. How is that possible? Is it even good or right? And if so, why and and how? And here's the real trick. It's not just an interesting story about someone else's life. Because God has each one of his people walk down that same road. In one form or another. Living through an evil world. Evil comes close. People sin against us. And there's no excuse. And it's ugly. And it hurts. And God calls us to forgive. How is that possible? How is that good? What does that look like? Well, here's how Paul describes it. He says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So here's the only way it makes sense and the only way to really wrap our minds around it. We have to connect it to how God forgives us. So as we begin to try to unpack what forgiveness is and isn't, uh, we're going to at every point come back to Christ. There's not only our model, but... Uh, but there's our, our very definition of what forgiveness is and the strength by which we could ever get there. So we'll, we'll unpack it uh, with, with four points. Uh, we'll tie in the other elements of these two verses. We'll see that, uh, that really forgiveness is the kind of br- one thing that branches out into all of them. Four points, and again, coming back at each point to Christ. The first point is something that didn't get on your outline, but it's an important point of introduction, uh, clarification which is this that forgiveness isn't simple it's multifaceted it's not simple it's multifaceted meaning this that there's slightly different aspects to forgiveness that that it's helpful to kind of tease out because sometimes we can use the same word in two slightly different ways and it's helpful to, to make uh, a distinction between them and, and one one author put, put it they used these terms and I found it very helpful uh, the difference between attitudinal forgiveness and transactional forgiveness. So attitudinal forgiveness, or forgiveness in attitude, and forgiveness in transaction. So uh, forgiveness of attitude, or attitudinal forgiveness, uh, that is an internal commitment that a person makes, the, the one who's, who's been hurt, the one who has been sinned against, an internal commitment that that individual makes to set aside an offense, uh, to an internal resolve to cast off bitterness, uh, to cast off wrath towards a person, and begin to desire their good. That that attitudinal forgiveness is something that we are called to do always with everyone, with every offense, even if the other person never acknowledges their sin. Even if they never Repent and ask for their forgiveness, we're called to that attitudinal forgiveness of casting aside bitterness and committing ourselves not to hold an offense against someone. Uh, This is uh, this attitudinal forgiveness. This is Louis Zamperini uh, writing to the bird, even though he never gets a response, writing to him and saying, I forgive you. What takes place, what he has control over, his own. Uh, attitude and a commitment uh, of that. Which is a different thing from transactional forgiveness, which is that element of forgiveness that starts with the offended person's attitude, but then turns into a transaction between parties. This is where uh, there is an acknowledgement on the, by the offender that they've done wrong and there's forgiveness sought and granted. This is forgiveness as it moves towards reconciliation um that's always what is desired but it doesn't always happen right you, you get like like in the case of zamperini uh, people who want nothing to do with it and don't even respond and we don't have God doesn't hold us responsible for the response of another uh, he holds us responsible uh, for for ourselves so but those those are two different aspects of forgiveness uh, and We often, in scripture often uses the word to refer to aspects of both, but it's helpful to make a distinction. Uh, We don't want to confuse them completely. Uh, Most of our passage here seems to deal with more the the attitudinal forgiveness. Notice how the the key things that Paul is is encouraging have to do with yourself as the one who's been sinned against, right? Cast off bitterness, uh, put on tenderheartedness, right? What you have control over. The transaction, the confession of another, you don't have control over that, but you do have control over uh, what you you do and what you commit to. So, it's not simple, it's multifaceted. Now we're ready to to start jumping into really the meat of it. Okay, well, what exactly is forgiveness? Um, And here's here's a first important step, realizing that forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's canceling the debt forgiving isn't forgetting, it's canceling the debt. Um, Sometimes we say, oh, forgive and forget. That can be confusing. Uh, And sometimes we can be confused even by misunderstanding how the Bible talks about God's forgiveness to us. Uh, Because uh, we we maybe bring to mind scriptures like he remembers our sins no more. That's right out of scripture. That's a promise. Those who believe god remembers our sins no more but what does that actually mean Uh, is it that god forgets are we saying that the the omniscient god of the universe suddenly develops amnesia kind of like sin what what sin i i i don't remember any sin Uh, no that's that's actually not what the bible means when it talks about god remembering or not remembering so here's a good example from the kind of the opposite side in the book of Exodus there are the Israelites in Egypt they're enslaved and we get this statement that God heard their cries and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob he remembered his covenant so what is is God saying by saying he remembered his covenant, it's not that somehow he had forgotten and all of a sudden it came to mind oops, forgot, ah, now, now I'm, I'm bringing this to mind. No, 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 it's he remembered in the sense of, now he's acting. Ah, there's this commitment and now he's going to act on it. That's what it means to remember, right? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the thief says on the cross. It's not just Jesus remembered that I lived. Right? Don't forget about me. It's Jesus act, remember me in favor to bring me in. And so when we say that God remembers our sins no more, it's not that somehow his his divine memory banks are blotted out in some sense, but remembers them no more in the sense that he no longer acts on it. And he commits not to ever, for all eternity, act on it. He remembers our sins no more that he will not hold that sin against us he will not prosecute for that offense Uh, he will not execute judgment for that sin he remembers it no more Uh, or to use the the prominent scriptural example he cancels the death there's several images for forgiveness that we get in the bible one of the more prominent ones is that of canceling debt. It's how Jesus uh, illustrates it in our passage, our parable this morning from Matthew. Uh, that that in our sin, there is a real sense in which sinning against God it's it's kind of like a debt that we that we owe. We build up this huge, huge debt, and here uh, forgiveness then is described as canceling the debt, now, forgiving the debt, taking the debt off the books, so that there's even though you racked up that debt uh, the debt is canceled uh, crossed off no longer on your spiritual ledger there's never going to be a a spiritual collection agent that's going to call you and demand to be paid pay up or else cancel the debt and that's how jesus uh, describes god describes his forgiveness to us in christ here's colossians 2 And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Paul's saying, here here were you dead in your trespasses, Sinners. Bad sinners. In in fact, uh, sin, so offensive to God, so voluminous is our sin, and so, so unholy and offensive before God is our sin, that we could not possibly repay the debt. But God, in his great undeserved love, cancels the debt. Crosses it off. Our spiritual ledger nails it to the cross, uh, is what is what Paul says. So that if you're if you're trusting in Christ, right at this very minute and for all eternity, God does not hold a single sin against you. That that he, he looks at you, he looks at your spiritual bank account, your spiritual ledger, and well, every sin debt is crossed off marked paid for gone blotted out not that he can't bring to mind what you did but he promises to remember it no more to never uh, act upon it to never hold it against you uh, that there will never be a spiritual collection agent nagging you for about your failure got to pay it back still owed Cancel the debt paul says nailed it to the cross. And then that helps us get a little bit of understanding of what this can look like in in human relationships. Because Paul says we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us in Christ. Uh, So, uh, like, like the servant in the parable, having been forgiven this enormous debt by God, we're to go out to someone who truly owes us and forgive the debt as well. Um, what, thir- what verse 30, uh, thirty-one gives us is the temptations to the opposite—to to hold on to the debt, uh, bitterness, malice, uh, holding on to the offense, keeping it on the balance sheet, holding it against that person. Uh, Tim Keller gives a helpful description of bitterness by by talking about. What's the what's the chief mark of bitterness? Like how do you know if bitterness has taken root in your heart because of an offense? And and he says this, that the chief mark of bitterness is the replaying of our grievances. The the replaying of the offense. Uh, that that someone has sinned against you and and you just keep replaying it again and again. In the little the little smartphone of your mind, you keep hitting the Play, play, put it on repeat over and over again. Every time you see the person, ah, you think of that offense. Uh, Every time they come to mind, every time you see them, you kind of pull out the spiritual uh, bank account and you say, yep, they still owe me. Look, look why, look how bad it was. Look what they did. Uh, The chief demonstration of bitterness is uh, a continual, uh, an ongoing replaying of the grievance. And that, that bitterness will always sneak out in our actions in one form or another. And, and Paul seems to describe some different ways where it could. If you're holding on to the offense, not canceling the debt, uh, then, then it internally it's bitterness, but it can sneak out. Um, so he talks about wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Right, Keep the debt on the books, and your heart becomes bitter. Then what you end up doing is looking for opportunities to exact repayment, in one form or another. Right, if the debt's still on the books uh, against, because someone sinned against me, I'm gonna look for opportunity when I can get a little bit of repayment. Maybe it's in the form of screaming at them. Uh, right, clamor, that's essentially what that is. A verbal shouting, screaming, and so for some of us, that's our temptation. Someone sinned against us, and we're, we're going to exact repayment by letting them have it with our words. Or, he gives another option, here's slander, which is exacting some form of repayment, not, not by directly talking to the person and, and shouting them down, but by talking to other people. Now, I'm going to get repayment for this, for this offense uh, by, by talking to other people. Did I ever tell you about what so-and-so did to me? And we, we play out the offense. Not as a process of healing or as, or as a, a, a process of, that, that for, for good, but as a process of, this is my opportunity to tear them down. This is my opportunity to exact read. Amen. But forgiveness is canceling the debt. It's a commitment, not a feeling. Hopefully, and, and, and Lord willing, it, it does move into feelings... That change, But it begins with that commitment of the debt cancel. That though you might still recall the incident in your mind, you're, you're committing not to dwell on it and not to view it as a stain on their ledger that they will continue to owe you for. A debt that you're going to continue to look for opportunities to repay or at least reserve the right to to repayment sometime in the future. Reserve the right to collect at a later date. Forgiveness means canceling, giving up that. This is is Louis Zamperini uh, forgiving the prison guards and no longer saving up money to go uh, over to Japan to kill them. That debt's canceled and so I'm gonna stop saving up. Stop plotting in my head. So, forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's a canceling of the debt. Uh, another point, this one a little briefer, but a helpful clarification, that forgiveness isn't a restoration of trust, uh, but does result in seeking someone's good. Now, sometimes we can confuse forgiveness with re- a full restoration of trust in a relationship. And those, the one often should lead to another, they're not identical, and they can be separated by huge swaths of time. You committing to forgive someone and cancel the debt is not you completely having trust restored in a relationship. Um, So, think of ministry to, to a child. One of your children, you begin to notice, has this ongoing pattern of lying to you. Uh, when when you ask them about whether they've cleaned their room or done their chores, it seems pretty apparent that they their go-to sin is to lie to you. Now the call is for you to forgive, in the sense that you're gonna you're gonna cancel that debt. You're not gonna hold it against your child, not not hold on to bitterness, and not look for opportunities to dig at them and and exact repayment. Yeah, but you still owe me, um, even though that offense was against you and was personal. You cancel the debt. But that doesn't mean you instantly have trust restored in that person. Uh, you're not going to take the next thing your child says and automatically assume they're telling the truth. In fact, uh, love would mean you're probably a little skeptical. Not as a form of exacting repayment. Uh, here is tenderheartedness seeking their good. It's, well, to, to us, love looks like I'm going to help lead them out of this. Uh, and so I'm going to work towards trust being restored. we're not here yet, even though you've forgiven, canceled the debt. That's just a small example with a child. You can see how this might work in a very big example. So, uh, an abusive husband should not be allowed back in the house just because he has sought forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not the same as trust being restored. Yes, there's the, there's the call to forgiveness, though we're going to see in a minute, uh, if we really understand what biblical forgiveness is, it's much bigger, takes much more depth, and often much more time than we might think as Christians. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but even if there is a real biblical wrestling and, and forgiveness for, say, an abusive husband, that doesn't mean trust is automatically restored. Oh, sure, come on in in a position where that person can continue abuse. Not out of hatred or I'm going to continue to... I'm going to try to exact repayment by keeping you at a distance. That's just what love is. You're going to love that husband enough to, to realize it doesn't help him in his repentance until trust has actually been restored. And that might take years. It might never happen. But they're different things. Uh, it is a movement towards seeking good, uh, but, but that seeking of good is not an automatic restoration of trust. By the way, and we've said this, our model is God's relationship with us. This is how God treats us. Right? Think of coming to Christ. You come to Christ and God forgives you completely, totally. Right? Doesn't hold a single sin against you. Your your record of debt is canceled. But God doesn't take uh, you, a new convert, and automatically entrust you with all the precious things in his kingdom. In fact, God specifically says, do not make a new convert a leader in the church. Don't do it. It's not because God is still mad at that person or God is that new convert. God is still kind of, no, I got to make you do penance. I got to punish you a little bit. Then maybe you qualify. No, no, no. It's out of love. This person has has to prove a track record before they can be entrusted with the big things of the kingdom. That's how God treats us in his love and so that corresponds to our relationships with others Uh, our our final point and we'll spend a little time on this forgiveness doesn't minimize sin but commits to bear the steep cost. forgiveness doesn't minimize sin how can I forgive them look at what they've done Look how awful it is. Look how intentional, personal, destructive it is. How can I forgive them? That's a good question. And probably the first way we'd want to enter in, for whether we're speaking to our own hearts or interacting with a friend, is to to notice the hidden assumption and ask whether it's really biblical. The hidden assumption there is, that to forgive is in some fashion to say sin isn't really a big deal. That, that to forgive someone is communicating in some fashion, yeah, that sin's not really that big of a deal. Is that true? It's tricky because sometimes we can even say that in our relationships. Someone apologizes to you and you respond, oh, yeah, no big deal. Um... Can we get in our head that somehow to forgive is to say, that sin isn't that big a deal, or maybe not as big as we thought it a day ago? Is that biblical forgiveness? Okay, we'll go to our definition, our, our, our model, uh, God forgiving us in Christ. Is God forgiving you of your sin and me of my sin? Uh, is God implying in that, yeah, your sin really wasn't that big of a deal? So in order to forgive you, Christ went to the cross and died. Is that God's way of saying, yeah, that sin's no big deal. The Son of God takes on flesh, dies this torturous death in our place, the the wrath of God, the fury and punishment of hell itself falls upon Christ. In order to forgive you, is that really God saying... Yeah, that sin's no big deal. No, actually, it's quite the opposite. His, his path to forgiveness emphasizes that this sin is a very big deal. In fact, it's bigger than you think it is. Well, you could, you could, go, to, you could go to the parable that Jesus does. Right? He, he starts off with the, the, the one who represents God... Uh, which is the the initial master. And you remember what was owed? It was 10,000 talents. You know how much money 10,000 talents is? That's the amount of money you could earn as an average laborer if you worked for 200,000 years. That's the debt. 200,000 years worth of work. In other words, this guy can never ever ever repay this that the debt is so big so vast so overwhelming there's not a chance and yet the debt is canceled but it's that picture that jesus uses to describe our sin so far from uh, declaring nah your sin isn't that big a deal he actually declares quite the opposite actually it's worse than you think That our sin against God is is so voluminous and so vile that actually there is no chance in all eternity we could do enough to pay any of it back. Not enough sorrow that we could feel in our hearts, not enough good deeds that we could perform. None of it. The only hope in biblical forgiveness is that God just cancels the debt. Cancels the debt and pays for it himself. So the cross is not saying that our sin is no big deal, quite. The opposite, he's saying that it's so big we could never repay. So then, remember, this is is what teaches us what human forgiveness looks like. Of course, first we need to make sure we're wrestling with divine forgiveness. Have you wrestled with that? Your forgiveness before God? You're never really going to be able to figure out how to forgive another Or be forgiven by another human until you really wrestle with you and God and the depth of your sin, and yet the great overwhelming love He has to bear the cost Himself, to to forgive you for what you could never repay. Trusting in Christ, you're the recipient of that forgiveness, it's yours. And then that becomes the pattern and the power for us to be able to move towards that horizontal level and forgive others. And so then, it's having us think about those who sin against us. And recognizing that, that to biblically forgive them is in no form or fashion to say that sin is no big deal. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. You're, you're declaring that that sin is a very big deal. That that, that sin is a debt that can't be repaid. Now, of course, ultimately our sin, every sin, even interpersonal sin, is a sin against God. So if someone sins against you, that person is going to have to reconcile with God. They're going to have to settle accounts with God. But yet still, there there is a relational cost, a relational debt when someone sins against us. And... And that, that debt, in many cases where where there's really ugly sin, that debt can't be repaid on a human level. That there is no no payback that actually is sufficient for the ugliness of that sin. It's too personal. The hurt is too deep. The, the, the damage can't be put back together. That person can't be sorry enough or do enough good things towards you in order to Pay it back. So forgiveness is you in part acknowledging that. That, Yeah, really, it really is that bad. The only hope is that the debt is canceled. And there's a real sense in which part of what we do in forgiving another is we bear the cost ourselves right this is again we're learning from Christ how is it that God can God forgives this 200,000 years of works sin debt how, how does he forgive that that debt doesn't just disappear into thin air uh, in our forgiveness Christ pays the price so God in, in forgiving us is not saying the debt disappears he's saying I will bear it in your place And Christ bears that sin. And when we forgive another person, now we never atone for sin like Christ does, but there is a real sense that when we forgive another person, we take some of the debt on our own shoulders. We commit to bearing some of the cost. Because some of that destruction that sin causes, it doesn't just vanish with forgiveness. But in forgiveness, we're, we're committing, you can't repay me for this, but I'm going to forgive anyway. I'm going to cancel the debt anyway, and I'll bear some of that cost on my own shoulders. That's hard. In fact, if forgiving another individual who's hurt against you in any kind of significant way if forgiving that individual doesn't feel hard, you're probably not doing it right. And this is a trick that I think, a, a, a difficulty that many Christians have, that we kind of rush towards forgiveness. We, we think, okay, I just got to do this quickly. You have to be forgiven, done, don't think about it again. And we miss what biblical forgiveness really is. We, we miss the, the depth of it, the richness of it. And it takes a little intentionality to use Jesus' language, accounting of the cost, to understand what we're really doing. I'm I'm really committing to canceling this debt. I'm really committing to not trying to exact repayment. And I realize there's a cost for me in that. I'm going to bear some of this myself. And I'm committing to doing it anyway. You can't rush to that. In fact, if you, if, you, if, you, if you rush it and, and oversimplify it quickly, you, you probably missed it. It's also part of the glory of forgiveness. A painful glory, but a glory. Because what are we doing in forgiveness of, of another? Somebody doesn't deserve it. We cancel the debt Anyway. We bear some of the cost ourselves. What are we doing in that? We're, we're walking the road of Jesus. Following his example, yes, but actually something much deeper than just following his example. We're actually having fellowship with Jesus in that. It's a, it's a fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus. It's that same Road, but now we walk it, walk it connected to Him as believers in Christ. And so as you walk through that painful, difficult, hard thing, taking it with the, the gravity that it really deserves, there is this painful glory in it. You're sharing the fellowship of Jesus suffering. And there's a glory to that. A glory that always leads to resurrection. Because that's Jesus. The the cross for Christ didn't stay with bearing the painful cost. He's raised up in glory. And so it will be for all who walk that same road in him. You can be sure that as you as you share in that, well, Paul even says it, as we share in the fellowships of the suffering of Christ, so we share in his resurrection. Of course, that's the end of our days. Ultimately, he's going to raise us up on the final day. But there's also that, that walking through this world. That's God's plan for us. He's going to, in his plan, he has us in places where it's going to look like suffering. Because someone sins against us. But it's going somewhere to resurrection. To new life out of death. We we saw that as, as we talked about the example of, Louis Zamperini it was painful what he went through but it, but it didn't stop in the pain there was resurrection there was suffering of Christ both in the in the offense itself and that difficult wrestling of what it really meant to forgive but then there was glory if you, if you know the, the story of his life Zamperini spent the rest of his 96 years, 97 years on this earth, ministering to people in the name of Christ. He started a whole youth camp for troubled kids to minister in the name of Christ, to speak to thousands and thousands about Jesus and the weight and glory of forgiveness. And of course, now he's resurrected on high with the Savior. He was freed on this earth from the, from the prison of bitterness. That's part of the glory. As we forgive, uh, we are freed from what will kill us. Someone has, has rightly pointed out that bitterness is, is like drinking poison in order to try to hurt someone else. Drinking poison hoping somebody else will die. It doesn't work. So part of the resurrection as we forgive, though it's painful in the process, is that we ourselves are freed from the prison of bitterness. But that's just the beginning. It opens up, because it's the story of Jesus, it opens up this opportunity for us to live Jesus and speak of him and and know him better and see God use it all the way up until he takes us home. So forgiveness at the same time is far more difficult and intense than we're tempted to think, but at the same time far more glorious than we might imagine. And it only makes sense in Jesus, which is why we come back to that again and again and again. Sin is a big deal. There is a price. There is a cost. But God loves us so much, he bears it himself. That's our life. That's our hope. And then our relationships, it's having that flow out and knowing Jesus in the process. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would teach us afresh the glories of your love in Christ. Help us to know, Lord, your mercies, to rest and rejoice in it, that the cross would be uh, our hope, Lord, not only for ourselves and our own salvation, but our, our hope in the midst of an evil world. We thank you for the cross of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.